You could have read the New York Times this morning, but you came here. You could have gone for a run or stayed in bed, but you came here. You could have watched a TED Talk online, but you came here or at least are watching us online. You could have done any number of other things, spent your time in any number of other ways. But you came here. Instead of being just a you for this hour, you choose to be part of a we. And that makes all the difference. I invite you now to join Lilo in singing one of my favorite we songs. Lilo will lead us in Somos el Barco. Somos el barco Somos el mar Yo navego en ti Tú navegas en mí We are the boat We are the sea I sail in you you sell in me The stream singing to the river The river singing to the sea And the sea singing to the boat That carries you and me Somos el barco Somos el mar Yo navego en ti, tú navegas en mí. We are the world, we are the sea. I sail in you, you sail in me. El arroyo le canta al río, el río le canta al mar, y el mar le canta al barco, que lejos nos va a llevar. Somos el barco, somos el mar, yo navego en ti. Tú navegas en mí. We are the boat. We are the sea. I sail in you. You sail in me. Good morning. Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. My name is Perry Bider, and I am so glad that you are here with us this morning, either physically or on Facebook. Visitors and guests, we hope that you got a blue name tag so that we know who you are and can welcome you and answer any questions you might have. 
we love talking about why this place is important to us, and we're curious to know what brought you here today and what you might be looking for. Please join us after the platform service for coffee and cookies in the lobby in the social hall. And please consider sharing your email address with us on this gold sheet that you can find in your program uh, so that we can add you to our mailing list. You can drop it in the collection basket as it passes later in the service. I would like to remind you all, please silence your electronic devices so that you can be fully present this morning. Uh, while you have them out, if you want to let your social network friends know what an awesome place you're at and that they still have a chance to be here at 1130, you know, that's okay, too. <laughs> I now invite Cindy White to come forward to light our community candle uh, so we can hear our shared values in each other's voices. Cindy is part of a team helping to teach an expanded uh, and optional uh, path to membership class. Uh, Amanda continues to do the uh, single session that uh, is required for all people considering membership here, but now we have uh, an expanded version to give people a fuller sense for what it's like to be here and who we are as a community. And, and this is also open to people who have joined in the recent years who still feel like they're getting their feet wet. So, Cindy, thank you. Hey, thank you. I'm, I'm here on behalf of Deepening Circles, which I strongly promote. So if you are thinking of uh, joining, I, I hope you'll consider joining a Deepening Circle because it's a great way to meet new people. Um, I'll read our statement of purpose. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you, Cindy. As Cindy lights the community candle, I invite you to join in the candle lighting words on the screen. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. spell in solidarity with people around the world. Today I'm especially thinking of federal employees, federal contractors who cannot count on having their income restored, and all of the immigrants whose fates are hanging in the balance of this current government impasse. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world.
let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. I invite you now into a time of meditation. Take a minute to get as comfortable in the seat as you can. Close your eyes if you like. Take a few deep breaths. Today's meditation will be a musical one. Lila will begin with a few remarks about the immigration controversy and then provide a medley of songs from El Salvador. My name is Lilo, Mr. Lilo, Victor, Super Lilo. I have a three arms, my left, my right, and my guitar. I am from El Salvador. I am a Salvadorian. My country is very small, but I love my country. They sent one away yeah, yesterday morning. Asylum denied, the judge said case closed. They're flying him back to his unhappy country. I wish I could see him just one more time. Goodbye to my Juan, goodbye Rosalita, adios mis amigos, Jesus y Maria. You won't have a name when you ride a big airplane and all the world called you will be deported. Haya que me gusta a mí por su monte encumbrado, por su lindo balsamar y su cielo de zafir. Qué lindo es cantarte aquí, a la par de tu ventana, mi muchachita serrana. Qué lindo es cantarte aquí, firufirulín, firufirulín, qué bonita, firufirulín, firufirulín, mi morena, firufirulín, firufirulín, flor temprana, enrollada en mi canción. Yo salí muy temprano para no despertarlos, para que no lloraran, para hacerlo más suave, para hacerlo mejor. Una mano en el pecho, la otra con el pañuelo, hilvanando los sueños sin pensar lo peor. Manuelito despierta y me dice, mamita, ¿cuándo regresarás? La respuesta no es fácil, 
la estrategia se rompe, sepa Dios la verdad. I didn't cross the border, my friend. The border crossed my land. Don't be afraid, mi hermano. This land is yours and mine. No me jodas, paisano. This land is yours and mine. It was so um, beautiful to have you bring what is in your heart and I know held in our hearts this week. Thank you. Am I on my, yeah, great. <clears throat> my parents are um, both pretty reserved um, people uh, it's a little bit of a mystery how they ended up with me. They're both kind of introverts, which I remember whenever I go home to visit them and they have to take breaks from my family on a regular basis. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, oh, we're all here. Let's all be here all the time doing all the things with all of us, each other. <clears throat> I'm an only child, uh, and, and it may be that they figured that was loud enough. Uh, and... Um, and in addition to being somewhat reserved, my mother is part of a Unitarian Universalist congregation in upstate New York, as some of you know. Um, but my father only goes into congregational spaces if I am the person speaking. And I have to be the person doing the main thing. He's not going to come if I'm just doing a little bit of a thing. Um, that's been true ever since I was a child. He only came to the congregation I grew up in when it was you know, the teen platform, and, and so I was speaking, that was as long as it was a pretty main thing. And, uh, and it's true now. And, and some of that has to do with the fact that, you know, he's basically a secular humanist in orientation, entirely naturalistic uh, understanding of the world. And so, in general, religion isn't really his thing. Uh, when I asked him for permission to use him as a platform illustration this morning um, and explained that it would be done in great love, which it, which it is, uh, he jokingly said that I had my blessing, his blessing, and then put like four smiley emojis after it. <laughs> so that's part of it, you know. But he wouldn't even want to be part of a Unitarian Universalist congregation or this congregation right here, an explicitly humanist congregation. And that is really primarily because he doesn't so much like people. <laughs> he likes them individually, but the idea of choosing to be in a community with a whole bunch of people that you didn't specifically pick out to be your friends, right? You can pick you know, the person that you marry or the people that you hang out with on a regular basis. But in a community like ours, you are in relationship with a whole bunch of people that you didn't pick out. People that you may not agree with either all of the time or almost any of the time. People even, he has been known to say, you know, sometimes some of those people are weird. <laughs> he was obviously talking about a different congregation, not this one. 
actually, it's kind of weird that we do this, right? That we choose to be here, that you chose to come this morning or to tune in online, and I hope you'll say hello if you did, and be part of this we here. It is an unusual choice, a countercultural one, actually. It was countercultural in the time of Felix Adler when he founded Ethical Culture back in the late 19th century. At that time, we really mostly had kind of traditional religions, and most people belonged to the one that they were raised in. There was certainly some movement around in creativity, particularly among different Protestant traditions at that time. But Adler wanted to start this new kind of weird thing, right? This this gathering that would bring people together that didn't necessarily believe the same thing and didn't have one text that they were all going to look to for sources of knowledge and didn't have one tradition that they all came from and agreed on as important, but rather thought a whole bunch of different things and chose to be together and to figure it out with each other. The founding address of ethical culture, which I love and quote all the time, so sorry if that's boring, <clears throat> says that he's creating a, a platform broad enough for worshiper and infidel. The two extremes, right, coming together in one place. And he knew, I think, that it was countercultural, that it was a new and unusual thing. And it's countercultural now, too to be in a community like this, perhaps even more so than it was at Ad in Adler's time. I was watching a webinar uh, this past week with um, a number of other West staff members um, that was led in part by um, Aisha Hauser. Aisha Hauser is a Unitarian Universalist religious educator and one of the authors of the white supremacy teach-in materials. Um, and uh, this, this particular webinar was uh, it, was, it was called White Supremacy and the Death of Sunday School, which was sort of an arresting title and unfortunately kept popping up in our calendars as the White Supremacy webinar, which was like, didn't sound like what we wanted. But it was really about how kind of white supremacy culture interacts with all sorts of models that we use in our congregations. And, and in particular, this one was looking at different models for how we teach our children and incorporate them in our community. But the thing that was so interesting to me about this webinar were the reflections from Asia about, um, about what it is that we are doing together, this weird thing, this thing, this weird thing that we do with each other. She was talking about how um, American society, um, which, which is sort of you know, woven through with um, white culture, white supremacy culture, that American society really values uh, individualism, right? We know that. You can look around at political discourse or um, even some of our greatest authors, um, Thoreau and Emerson, kind of standing alone on a hill. It values individualism, and we are doing something different. I love the way she put it talking about in communities like this one, our goal is to look from the I to the we, as she wrote. She says that, that the goal for each of us is to know my needs will get met some of the time, the community's needs will get met all of the time. 
when you think about sort of what general society offers us, a kind of uh, consumer mentality, right, where you can get everything just right. My family and I are um, taking a trip to Disney in the fall, in the spring. It'll be my first time there, my girl's first time there. And um, we got to pick our magic band colors last night. That's a special bracelet you wear that like gets you into Disney, I guess. I don't know. Tinkerbell likes it. Um, and, uh, and you get to go and customize your, your magic band color. And I was thinking, my gosh, you know, not only am I taking my children to Disney, but they get to pick the color of the bracelet that they wear when they go in. So it's just perfect for them. We have so many places where, where the focus is that we may pick exactly what's perfect for us. And in an intentional community like this one, we show up to ask what the community's needs are. My needs will get met some of the time. The community's needs will get met all of the time. Aisha talked about how part of what that means is that sometimes each of us in an intentional community like this, in this weird thing that we're doing together, will be sitting with discomfort, right? Our needs aren't the ones being met that particular Sunday. We talk about that a lot with what happens on Sunday morning with things like the music, you know, because we don't share one musical tradition, all of us, there are musical pieces that, you know, some Sundays are my favorite and some Sundays are your favorite. And part of what we have to do with each other is know that if it's not my favorite this Sunday, it's probably your favorite and I'll get a turn later, right? My needs are met some of the time. The community's needs will get met all of the time. I will say, as one of the people charged with meeting the community's needs all of the time feels <clears throat> a little daunting, <laughs> even for the community. But I love that idea of Asia's, that, <clears throat> that part of being an intentional community with each other is growing our capacity to sit in discomfort. <clears throat> to, to see discomfort, in fact, she said, as a root of all growth and learning. I think about the little chick inside an egg, you know, which doesn't crack open until the chick is really uncomfortable in there, until they're so crowded up against the shell <clears throat> that, um, that they just have to break free. Discomfort as the root of growth and learning. One of the other things that we do in a community like this one, an intentional community, another thing that is awfully weird is when we disagree with each other, we keep talking about it. We stay in relationship in some way. As I watch our national leaders, I realize how cultural it is to be able to say, I disagree with you, I see your opinion, but I don't share it. Maybe one of us will change our mind down the road. But in the meantime, we'll look for what we can work together on. I feel like that's not precisely the framework being used by Congress right now. Close, maybe, but not precisely. So one of the things we do in this weird thing, this weird place where we show up with all these people we didn't pick out <laughs> and say we're somehow going to be a thing together is figure out how to be a thing together when we disagree. How to, 
how to have an opinion and stick with it while still listening to another. One of the things I have found so helpful in that, and I credit Isha as well, who, who brought it up, although I learned it many years ago from a member here at WES, is um, to substitute and for but. Do you know that trick? Instead of saying, oh, well, yeah, but, here's the other thing that is totally um, different from what you just said. You can say, well, yeah, and here's the thing that's totally different from what you just said. You're still saying the same thing. You still think something different, and yet somehow I experience that little shift as saying there is room for different opinions here. There is room for different ideas. Yes, and, and. In this community, we have a couple of ways that we really try to, um, to be in conversation with each other when things get tricky. The Community Relations Committee is one of those. That's a group of folks um, that help people when they need to talk about something that's difficult. Um, they staff the feedback center that's outside um, the, the doors on Sunday morning. Uh, and they're also working on an agreement um, that our community may build together about how we want to talk with each other, particularly when things get tricky. But the truth is that, you know, the, the interesting thing about making agreements like that is really the chance to sit down and have the conversation, right? In the end, communities like ours, weird ones like this where we're trying to do this weird thing, you always end up with many of the same ground rules, no matter what process you took to get there. Talk directly to a person, probably not on email. <laughs> Talk to them, not about them. We know those ground rules. But it is countercultural to do them. It's countercultural to stay in relationship when we disagree. Part of what I think helps all of that. Part of what helps sort of when we're in the midst of disagreements or, um, or conflict or just when we're trying to figure out where our voice is in a community like ours is to make sure that everybody understands how decisions are made. When I do that required path to membership class that Perry mentioned, that's always a big section of what I talk about. Like who makes decisions around here, you know? Is it just rolling dice? Are there votes? What are their votes for? Who makes decisions for different things? And of course, the answer, as you would guess, in a community um, that's made up at least in part by sort of wonky um, Washington types, is that there's many layers of decisions, and different decisions rest with different bodies, with the board of trustees who are elected, or with the staff, with me who reports to the board making sure that folks sort of know all those layers of decision-making, who's in charge of this decision or another. Where can I bring feedback? That piece around feedback, I think, is such a core part of intentional community. I mentioned the feedback center, which is out in the lobby, but we are listening all the time for where folks are what they're experiencing here in this community. Sometimes it's easy. If you look in your program, you'll see that the, the um, platform title is in bold. Uh, that's a change that happened this week because somebody wrote at the feedback center and said, 
gosh, I'd really like the platform title in bold, and I love it when people ask things I can actually do immediately. And so then I do them as quick as I possibly can because I feel so proud of myself. Now, one of you will go to the feedback center afterward and tell me you wish that the platform title were not in bold because it was distracting for you. And that's okay. <laughs> then we'll just go back and forth and see if anybody notices again. But there are other ways, of course, that we receive feedback. Some of you were here a few years ago when we did the infamous kid flip of 2016. We were trying out, we were still at one, pla it was 2015, I don't know, 16, 16. We were still at one platform service and it was getting mighty crowded. And so we were trying all these different ways to manage the number of people in the room. And we kept moving around when the children were going to come in. Were they going to come in at the beginning or were they going to come in at the end? We would send these instructions to, to parents and teachers and try it out. And we did an experiment for several months. And then we sent out a survey to see how everybody liked it. And we did a little pie graph of people's responses to the survey. Did they like it? Did they not like it? One of the good things about that whole experience was that it opened up a, an opportunity for people to talk about all sorts of things in the platform service. You know, well, how do they like where the opening words was? And what about the greeting your neighbor? Did they like that? Or should it be in a different place? It turns out it is not possible to craft a platform service that you all like. So, <laughs> like, that's just good to know, right? Good to know. But we used that feedback to sort of change up how we did it, and we ended up staying flipped so the kids come at the end, which now new people don't even know is a flip at all. They think that's just when the kids come in, as though it was written in stone, you know, 2,000 years ago. We heard recently that people were missing the story for all ages. That's coming back once a month, first Sunday of the... Yes, oh, look. Possibly it was all emails from Perry under a different <laughs> alias each time. So that's come back once a month. Now sometimes the things that folks have feedback or interactions around are bigger, right, than whether something's bolded in the program or even what time our children come in. Although I will say there was a lot of conversation about what time our children come in during the platform service. I think particularly about some of our anti-racism and anti-oppression work, which we've really done a lot of in the last few years, and are looking for ways to hear from the community. How's that going for you? How are you experiencing it? Do you wish we did more or different or less? Have you found a way to get engaged in that work? I had a conversation recently, a lunch with a priest friend of mine whom I went to seminary with. She um, serves an Episcopal congregation in D.C. And uh, it's, it, it, like many Episcopal congregations actually, has a very wide political spectrum um, that's represented within her congregation. So on a given Sunday, she might have folks there who worked in the Obama administration and folks who currently work in the Trump administration. And um, so I was, you know, listening to this experience and wondering, you know, how she manages this congregation with people from such different um, political and sort of um, uh, socio-political orientations. And then she shared that she was so jealous of what it must be like for me here, where obviously everybody agreed on all of that. It was so easy, right, for me. She had to deal with this big spectrum, but here we were all on exactly the same page. 
I felt a little sad to have to disabuse her of this notion. And we talked a little more and, and, and realized that she might have a spectrum like this, and our spectrum maybe starts over here, but then it goes to over there, right? <laughs> so both of us are really doing the same kind of work, <laughs> navigating this spectrum. I'm over here, right? This spectrum of, um, of, of different ways of engaging with social justice work, with anti-racism work, with anti-oppression work, all of those pieces. She was sad. I think she had held this out as a fantasy of a ministry where, I don't know, like everyone agreed, which I, I just assume she hasn't met a lot of people. Uh, and so we're listening for all of that. There's going to be a survey actually going around to members around our focus goals and, and our work as we get ready for the mid-year retreat and for a vision and budget summit at the end of February. Um, but there's some questions in there around some of our, um, our anti-racism and anti-oppression work. So I hope that you'll fill that out. That's one kind of um, feedback that we, that we can get. I will say um, we are not alone in this, but in general, your response rate to surveys is abysmal. <laughs> it, really, it really is, I'm sorry to say. And so um, I hope that you'll do this one because we spent a lot of time crafting it, you know? Five minutes, guys. <laughs> this uh, spring, starting at the very beginning of March, we'll also have some study groups using a book um, by Anthony Penn, a uh, sociologist uh, and, and religious studies professor out of um, Texas, uh, about humanist communities and, um, and race and racial justice. And so I hope that you'll take a look at that as well. We'll have those books available to purchase. And then the exciting thing is at the end of April, Dr. Penn's actually coming here to give a platform, which I'm very fangirl about right now. Um, so I hope that you'll engage in that, that we'll find ways to be in conversation with each other. Another thing we do in intentional community is figure out how to intentionally welcome people. We had a bunch of conversation about that in September as we looked at what it was like to be intentionally welcoming, our theme was, was welcome then in September, to people of color in a majority white congregation like this one. Um, and I think often about the elevator campaign here. About 10 years ago, this congregation chose to put an elevator in the building to make it accessible for people. At the time, what were there, like six or seven weird stair levels just to get into the main hall? There are these horrible stories of having to like pick people up to transport them in. So they built this elevator. And the thing I love about that story is that there wasn't one sort of person at the center needing that elevator. The idea was this was an elevator so that we could be welcoming and open to anybody who wanted to be in our space, to make it possible for the most number of people to be the most welcome here. It turns out, P.S., that it's mighty handy when you're carrying food up for Schmoozapalooza or decorations for Winter Festival to have an elevator and a cart instead of the stairs, so it worked out for many of us. I think about that elevator campaign um, as we've been um, playing around with some other kinds of intentional welcome here. Some of you have noticed that often when I'm the officiant or Zeb and some of our other officiants, it's all up to them, have chosen to um, introduce ourselves using the pronouns that we use. And that's a similar idea as the elevator, I think, in a lot of ways. 
an opportunity to make our space more welcoming to more people. Introducing with pronouns is something that's gained a lot of popularity in recent years, particularly with younger generations. So it's pretty new to me, actually, and maybe to many of you. The idea, of course, is that you know not everybody uses either he or she pronouns. Some people use they or z, a different pronoun. And not all of our pronouns are immediately obvious, um, sort of correctly identified, right, when, when you look at us. And so you might, you know, just the same way you don't assume that somebody you, you know, knows your name, you might not assume that they know your pronouns. And so making a practice of introducing oneself with pronouns can make it a more welcoming space for people for whom that's a real helpful thing. Now, we don't have any requirement about introducing by pronouns. I've chosen to do it on Sunday mornings. And I know that it's been uncomfortable for folks. Makes me think about that sitting with discomfort piece that Asia talked about. I actually wanted to share an email I got from Jared Mason, who's a new member here, who, it was one of those amazing sort of six, six paragraph emails in which he walked me through his entire experience with hearing me introduce myself using pronouns, starting with what he said was, um, let's see, I, I've got it here. Um, it initially struck me as being an overly strong focus on one particular identification group, um, an issue without a particular reason for singling that one dimension out. Why should we go out of our way to define ourselves by our gender identification, but not our race, ethnicity, et cetera, et cetera. And then as he goes through the email, he talked a little bit more about what he thought, about experiences he had with different people. And, and thinking, he said, it's very important to recognize the power dynamics that exist between the two. In other words, if the minority group that we're talking about are billionaire hedge fund owners, who are also welcome to West, I did want to make that clear, <laughs> they probably deserve less of our consideration than if we're talking about historically marginalized populations. And trans or other gendered people, he wrote, are obviously among the more marginalized groups in our society, and most probably at West. The really cool thing for me, as Jared kept talking about this, was that he then wrote about sitting with his son in platform, who asked why we were doing this, um, this kind of introduction. When he asked that question, Jared wrote, it provided an opportunity to talk about the issue as well as why it's important to imagine others complexly and about our tendency as humans to simplify the world down to make it look like us is understandable but can hurt others and limit our appreciation for how much beauty and diversity there really is in the world. It was a great, Jared wrote, even if small, moment, and it's one of the things that I appreciate about Wes, that it provides the opportunity for, huh, moments, that can turn into aha moments, if you're lucky. I found that email so helpful because I was able to see this kind of progression that Jared had experienced, and of course I share this email and his name with his permission, so I'm sure you can talk with him as well to hear his uh, further experience about it. The experience of sitting in discomfort in this weird thing we're doing here, right? this weird community that we're part of. That part of being in community is learning that together, listening to people when they try changes, learning the stories of why it matters to people. 
However, I will say not everything is um, just pronouns and anti-oppression work. We also do some really hard things in intentional community, like um, reading our email. So just give me one moment here. I want to invite you into our staff conversations. Every week we say, somebody didn't know about Palooza, or someone told me they weren't sure when the Seder was, and we think and think about how many more ways we can communicate with all of you. Remember I said you were bad at reading surveys? You were sort of a little bad at reading email too, you guys. So we have a Twitter account and a Facebook account, and I don't know, Robin's probably putting things on, what, Instagram, and yep, she is putting things on Instagram. I don't even have that on my phone. Maybe we'll try Snapchat. I think that the teens use that. I don't understand it. It's only pictures. Anyway, we may do that. Only pictures. You're going to just get a picture of the next platform. It'll be like a like Pictionary around platform. I have many colleagues who talk about the challenge of communication in a community like ours today. And one of the problems is that big companies have big marketing budgets and big PR um, departments who are able then to communicate with people in the format that each person prefers, right? If you like Twitter, you can get all your news on Twitter. If you like Facebook, New York Times is on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. And here we are with, um, you know, not, I would say, a large um, PR and marketing department. Um, <laughs> not really a department, but rather about a third of one person's time and, um, and trying to communicate with all of you. And so I was in this this Facebook conversation with other colleagues where we're trying to talk about all the ways we're trying to communicate. We have a thing in the lobby. And, and one uh, colleague finally said, you know, at my daughter's school, they just write an email. They, they, they say to us all at the beginning of the year, the information is in a weekly email, and your job is to read that. So I'm going to try that here. <laughs> the information's in a weekly email. Your job is to read that. It's also on our website calendar, and most of it's on our Facebook page and our Twitter account. But really, I mean, there's a deeper piece there, right? You know, we all get millions of emails a day, and yet being in an intentional community like this one, part of what we agree to with each other is to pay attention to each other, to read each other's emails. It's in the email. It's in the email, guys. I don't know. You know, emails and anti-oppression work, and then there's pledging and volunteering. It does make you wonder why we do things like this, right? Maybe my father has the right idea. This is just a little too weird, a little too hard. Congregations have been at the center of my life since I was a child. I had to go get one because, remember, I had these two reserved parents that need time on their own, so it works out well for me to go to a place where there's a whole bunch of other people I can talk to. At every stage of my life, I have chosen to go deeper into intentional community, to do this weird thing with other people even though it is sometimes very weird and sometimes uncomfortable or 
tiring, it certainly means that most decisions take a long time. Sometimes newcomers, when they're talking with me for the first time, will say that they had actually sort of come up with ethical culture or humanism as a religion, but they didn't think anybody else did it. And so they figured they would have to be content to just be a religion of one, right? Like just them by themselves doing this thing. And the wonder on their faces when they realize that they get to actually do that in community with other people, journeying together. Like many congregations, um, we had what people um, are referring to as the Trump bump. Uh, it was an increase in attendance right after the election uh, a year and a bit ago. And the, at first, I think, you know, people think about that Trump bump as, as people wanting to be with other folks who are doing justice work um, or just in a place that will help them to feel... Um, you know, calm and centered on a Sunday, and I do think that that is absolutely part of it. But I think, I think that really what people came looking for and continue to come looking for is precisely the weirdness of all of this. The society out there, the larger society, tells us in America that it's just about us individually, that it's an I kind of place. And in case you hadn't noticed, it doesn't seem like that's working out that great. People come to a community like this one because we have some sense, even if we cannot quite articulate it, that there has to be a different way of being we. That there has to be some place where we disagree and stay at the table where we build things together, where we make it all up with each other and then tear it down and make it up again. That the we feels important. They come because they are looking for something countercultural, something weird. And so today I am feeling just grateful that you are all doing this weird thing with me. Cause we are rainbow, a human rainbow And when we blend ourselves together, then the world glows We are different sizes, and shape and color To make a rainbow, we need each other I wonder how the world will sing If we all look alike if every kid had purple skin and roll a yellow bike It might not be as interesting a play for us to see That's why I'm glad you look like you and I look just like me Cause we are rainbow, can you help me? A human rainbow, 
And when we blend us together in the world, Lord, we're different sizes and shape and color to make a rainbow. We need each other. We need each other. This is our community response period, and in keeping with today's theme of intentional community, we're going to do it a little differently. I invite you to spend the next few minutes uh, paired up or tripled up with people sitting near you and talking about what it is that brings you to West or brings you here today. What is your intention about being in this community? 